Hey everybody, on the run with Beards and Dunn, back for another episode. Beards, where the heck are you? <laughs> Dunn, I'm out in Bone Steel, <laughs> South Dakota. I, I can uh, imagine that there's some fishing involved in this. There is. So of course on, uh, I think Saturday, or no, Friday, it's whatever the, uh, it's the 11th of... <laughs> Yeah, the of, uh, November. It's it's Saturday. It's Veterans yeah. Day, and okay. my son Andy is beer. You know, he he took his life eight years ago, after he got back from the Iraqi War and suffered from PTSD. So he's out here buried at next to his grandma and grandpa in Bone Steel, South Dakota. For those of you who don't know where that is, it's 150 <laughs> miles southwest of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And if I'm standing in Main Street Bone Still and the wind is blowing out of the north and I spit, it'll land in Nebraska. Yeah, you can't get much closer. <laughs> it's a river there or something. I don't know. Yeah, so the Missouri River there is, and it's an impoundment, Lake Francis case. So I'm out here with some, uh, I'll be meeting some friends the next few days, and uh, we're going to do some walleye and, and uh, smallmouth bass fishing. Back cool. home in Bemidji... The uh, the lakes are starting to freeze up already oh, up there, Dunny. That's crazy. I you know we've been just having gorgeous weather here in North Carolina. It's been like seventy five to eighty for about two weeks. Oh my it's, gosh! It's sunny days. It's just it's kind of like you know ideal, and we're just loving it. And uh, are you getting out there and doing some biking every with you day? Kelly? You know, now that I'm retired, you know my countdown timer on my phone. I <laughs> you can set countdown timers. It's an app you put on your phone. And so every day, you know, when I'd be at work, people go, hey, Mike, I hear you're going to retire. And I'd show them my, and it'd say 348 days till I can ride my bike whenever I want. And so finally, it got down to zero. And it's really been a lot of fun. Ride your bike whenever you want. So, so done. Yeah. I, I got to ask you. So you and Karen now, your wife Karen, right? You you both been retired on se- September first, right? About two months now. Yeah. Are you loving it? Oh, loving it. It's it's yeah. I I can't think of the right words to say. It's it's kind of that situation where you know you've worked your whole life and and I always had jobs I enjoyed. I you know, but it's kind right. of some days it's like man, gotta go to work. It's not like I don't think I'm gonna go today. <laughs> you know, that was never really an option. <laughs> Now, you know, even if you're self-employed, and I'm kind of thinking, you dick. Like me. Yeah, you know, if you're saying, I think I'll take the day off, but then you go, buy it. that means I make zero dollars exactly. today. And the same thing, you know, when you have a, a job, you, you, you get some days off for vacation, and you can use those as you see fit. But, but you know, it's pretty much, a, um, you know, you're, you're accountable to be there and, and do the work, and that's the way it is. And so you kind of dream of the day where I wonder if I could ever get to the point and, you know, it really comes down to money. You know, financially, can I right. get by on a pension, on Social Security? You know, do I have enough money I've saved that I can meet my obligations but not have to worry about earning, you know, a, a job revenue anymore? And so, yeah, I guess we kind of got there, we hope. And we'll see. Yeah, well, the, well done. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm i not there yet. I got to work <laughs> If, if I lived in 99, you'll be I'm good. Keep dying and speaking. <laughs> I, I saw, I always remember that commercial. It was on years ago about, it was about uh, um, capital management, you know, financial management. And it was talking about this engineer, and it was an Asian guy named like Frank. And it says, Frank hasn't done any planning, all this. And the way he's got it figured, he can retire at age 127, you know, or something. Because <laughs> he was like, like he was looking at it, what he was putting away, like the minimum, and, and like, 
He yeah, me and Frank to... are good friends. <laughs> you and Frank can compare <laughs> notes. But anyway, it's it's been a lot of fun. And, and yeah, now, now we're moving out to the western side of North Carolina here in a few days. You are going to love it. Uh, we love the mountains, and we're going to be two miles from our daughter and, more importantly, our new granddaughter. And so we'll be able to see her pretty much anytime we want. So it's been a, it's an exciting time for us. And, uh, and I'm, I think, so, I'm so happy for you oh, and Karen. I appreciate that. Now, well I gotta, deserved. I got to ask, how is your knee? You, you seem in good spirits. No, but that doesn't always good. tell me, is so, it getting better? Last Friday, I went back to my surgeon. They took the stitches out, and that made a big difference. Mm. The The stitches were rubbing on my pants, mm. on the Ooh, sheets, yeah. on the bed. So they, they took those out. They It seems to be healing up good. I still have my pick line in, so I got to feed myself antibiotics every morning. I go back to the infectious disease doctor on the 15th, and... Um, the surgeon on the 21st of November. And if everything looks good, I'll be be able to get rid of all that stuff and all right, good to go. Well, for those who might not have known, Dick got, you know, he's had two revisions, two knee replacements on your right knee, is it, or left? No, left knee. Left and, knee. and I've had four, surgeon, or four surgeries for this infection MR, since July. MRSA, and that's a, not a good infection. Uh, it's a bad bug, and so your body and the antibiotics hopefully are getting ahead of it and we'll stay ahead of it and uh, we'll yes, keep our fingers crossed. I'm proud. still alive, Don. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> well, anyway, and you're out fishing and that's the most important thing. You know, I, it's kind of cool when you think about, you know, what what you enjoy in life. And again, hopefully you enjoy the people you have around you, you know, your family and friends and, and um, you know, your vocation. You know, we were just talking about that a little bit about doing something you enjoy and and um and your health you know when you got your health right. and, and you got good friends and, and family that love you you know and you got it made but um yeah, anyway we're gonna kind of try to get caught up you know we had ron tab on last week and that was fun you know ron uh, is an interesting guy you know what a you know the more i read into his history you know pretty amazing athlete and uh, right he kind of reminded me a little bit of you dick in that he was didn't start running till his junior year of high school just like me just like you uh, not a stellar high school. You know, he set this school record of 9.56 for two miles, which is decent. I right. Mean, to break 10 minutes in two miles in high school, is a, is yes. a, you're a good runner. I mean, you had to, it shows some ability, but it's not, it's not national class by any <laughs> no. stretch. But it, you it's know, not back, Prefontaine style. No, no, it wasn't, you know, and, and it was enough to get the, you know, he said he got a little scholarship to go to a Division II school, which, in the, you know, he was a couple of years ahead of me. So he would have been in the early 70s, 72, 73, something like that. And, you know, breaking 10 minutes then was probably considered, yeah, you're, you're noteworthy. Yeah. You earn a little a little uh, a scholarship opportunity, that you sort bet. of thing. And then his, his college career was good. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say outstanding. Um, I don't think he had any national titles, you know, like you, you'd think of these world-class athletes. A lot of them right. won NCAA titles and he had four All-Americans, and, and that's commendable. I mean, I never made made it once. I know you made Nor it. Nor did I. Well, you got it in I, junior wait, college. I take that back. Yeah. I did make two All-Americans in junior college. There you go, in, in the marathon, surprisingly. Marathon and the 10K. All right. And so, um, but then Ron decided to really make the commitment, and I, I kind of liked his story. Yeah, buddy, his Charlie Gray, he just, they got together and said, let's 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 live together, share expenses sort of thing. You, you know, two can live as two. It's cheapest one with rent and groceries and, and what have you. But then um, he went after it and started his times, really, you know, kept getting better and better. Ultimately ran 209, 
you know, ended up making a, a really good career for himself and notable. And uh, yes. he went into coaching, you know, very commendable that he, you know, took all his knowledge and experience and is now helping other people. Uh, uh, what's his name? Meb Kapleski. He coached him from high school. And, and done. That's amazing. You know what? When we were talking, I, I, I had no idea that he coached Meb yeah, for yeah. a bit. He, he was very, very... I always thought it was Bob Larson, his college coach. He had him in high school and was very, it sounds like very yeah. instrumental in, in helping him kind of keep that uh, focus, you know, in the right direction and what have you. And so, which, uh, you know, kind of, you know, then he uh, went on, had a great career, you know, Ron did. And then unfortunately, kind of like all of us, it's not like injury, you know, it's kind of like what, what takes you out of the game. Of That'll do it. That'll do it. You know, it, it's the unusual athlete that can go through a whole career you know, have the little, you know, nicks and pains, right. you know, that maybe everybody's probably going to deal with. But, you know, a lot of times, what is it that causes a guy to have to like, yeah, I can't compete at that Give upper level. And he, you know, he mentioned his fourth Olympic trials. He, uh, I don't think he ran them. It's, it's, he qualified, but right. I think he, he was taken out by injury and, and just never was able to come back to that level again. And, and, I, and we'll get into the rest of your story because, you know, we ended up with 1982, which was kind of a, a big a pivotal year for you and for me both. You know, we both, uh, you know, you had ran your best marathon at Boston that spring and, and came back and won grandma's. And then, unfortunately, that Achilles tendon in issue popped up in the fall. Yeah. And you still went to New York. I blew up at New York. Yeah, blew up in New York and, and kind of had to take the, the, the end of the year was just basically you were injured and, right. uh, and laid up uh, for no better way of putting it. But, can, but, yeah. but done. You, I yeah, I was just started a, having a heck of a year. I did, I did. You know, I had three grid marathons in twenty eighty two. I ran those two twenty ones, three of them. You know, back to back to back, and and so I was pretty excited. I was in graduate school then in the fall of eighty two, and I you know, to go back to college after you get your bachelor's degree, to get a master's degree, it was for me it was night and day difference. I really enjoyed graduate school. I was there because I chose to go. Um, right. You know, the undergraduate stuff is kind of like, yeah, you get out of high school, you're going to go to college. Yeah, I got a little scholarship. Sure. What are you going to major in? I don't know. I guess, I'm going to go major in physical education because I like sports. Mostly I just was there to run. Well, and um, good, yeah, but done. Good for you that you went back, got your I, master's degree. I remember coming out and getting tested in your lab a yeah. time or two. Well, you know, because after a couple years out of grad school, I was working at a runner shop. And, and I loved working at a running shop. If you're a runner, that's like a kid working in a candy store. Right. You know, it's like you get to t t test all the flavors, you know, all the shoes and apparel and stuff. And, and I had a great boss, Neil and Peggy Graff, uh, at that time. And they owned the, the store. And, and I worked for them full time. And it was just a blast. And I was running my mind out and working at a running shop. But then it was kind of like the reality is, you know, I, I got where I was newly married. And we had our first child, Callie, who's now... Yeah, has a daughter of her yeah. own, which is kind of hard to imagine. But and um, and so the, I kind of started thinking about you know the long range plan, the future, and um, so yeah, I, I thought you know I need more, probably more education, and and uh, and so I, I went up to SDSU and talked to Coach Scott Underwood, who is my coach, and and they uh, offer what they call graduate assistantships. So you actually become like an employee of the university while you're going to college. Now, the benefit is you don't have to pay any tuition. Um, nice. But, yeah, but, but you're kind of earning your tuition through assistant coaching. And so Scott said, you bet, Mike, I'd be happy to have you as a graduate assistant coach 
for the cross-country indoor and outdoor track programs. And I'd also uh, have to teach a few of the, what they call the 100 level 101, fitness 101. It's for the freshmen. <laughs> and so as a grad assistant, um, you, would, you would actually teach that class. And, uh, and sometimes you'd work, I know Dr. Barry McCune was my uh, advisor, and you know it wouldn't be impossible maybe to step in and help out a professor with you know sure. scoring exams, uh, be it filling in uh, on a, doing a lecture if he was unavailable, you might have to, to take his class for him, things like that. And so you kind of earn your way. And so I could, I remember Karen and I borrowed 6,000 bucks Went to the to the financial aid office and we started talking now, about. Now, what was that six thousand bucks for? To live on. Okay. To live on. I had no savings. No, <laughs> I never lived hand to mouth. But we needed to. So, if I'm going to school full time, um, what are you going to do for rent? What are you going to do for groceries? Right. Uh, and so we borrowed and we kind of calculated it out and we six thousand bucks and we we did. I borrowed the money. And that was a lot of money back hey, oh then. Oh my gosh, it might as well have been six million bucks. But right. But you know now you look at it and go, what you were able to go to school for a year on six thousand <laughs> grad school, yeah. And so I did, and and it was just it was so much fun. We lived in a little apartment, and uh, we had our newborn baby Callie, and she was she was a hit of the. Uh, there was about twenty of us grad students, and we're all there for the same reason to get more education, to learn uh, the coaching opportunities we had, and we all, it was a really fun group. You know it was. When you get to grad school, it's a it's a lot more mature audience. Yes. You know, undergrad, you're still 18, 19, 20. You're, you're still mostly just looking, chasing girls, drinking beer, looking for a good time. <laughs> well, not that we ever did, but but uh, in grad school, it's a little more, my priorities had changed. And so I really enjoyed it. I, I really liked going to the classes, uh, even statistics, uh, which was, <laughs> it's a lot of math in that one. But, you know, I was there, my GPA was a, you know, I got out of undergrad with a B average, you know, just kind of skating through, not really killing myself. I think I ended up with a 3.94. I, I, yeah, I got like two mine, Bs. Mine was like 1.3. <laughs> anyway, so grad school, you know, for me, I, I was enjoying the education, the, the, the professors, you know, the classwork. And I'm, I'm running with the SDSU cross country team all right. fall. And then going into track that spring, um, you know, I, I wish I had a better memory of like I, I uh, with the workouts we were doing. We still had that darn hypercenter, that D-shaped track with the, squ the square corners. <laughs> the square corners. <laughs> but I think we had learned not to, you know, do killer workouts. No, none of those 70-90s again. Or and I don't think I raced up there once in grad school. I, I know I didn't. And so um, I was, you know, maintain my fitness through the winter, mostly just probably through long runs with the cross country right. and then with the track team and. And then that spring, um, I was looking for an opportunity and, and I was with Brooks at the time and they had us go down to Gasparilla. And if I remember right, it was early February. I don't yeah, the remember. the 15K river run. Yep, 15 kilometer. And that, uh, it's got a little short for me. I'm kind of a marathoner, but they had the whole Brooks racing team uh, come in for the Gasparilla and all expenses. And they actually did a few sessions with us on like promoting Brooks apparel and shoes. Um, you know, just how to do, how to do media, how to, uh, you know, sure, how to make yourself, yeah, a little more, um, I don't know, visible, uh, available and that sort of thing at, at races and, 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 and it's just to help promote their product and in return, that's what they gave us the product. And that was a lot of fun. And it really kind of builds your confidence to kind of say, well, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but like I'm on a professional team now, and you know, absolutely yeah, you know, and, and that's, that's huge. You know, to um, to kind of say it's not just a, a, a hobby, 
at this point. You know, this is right. something I've really, you know, committed many years to and a lot of effort. So that was in uh, in February. And I remember I, I ran not real well. <laughs> I remember Craig Virgin was there. I, I, you know, I got to hang out with Rob DiCostella, Greg Meyer, you know, the, all these guys that are world The biggest class, of the big. The big guys. And they didn't know me from a fly on the wall, but, you know, you're in the same room with them in, in that banquets and, and, me, and meetings and what have you. And uh, the gun went off. And I tell you, Beards, it's a whole different, and you probably know this better than anybody, it's a whole different ball game at, the, at that oh, level. Yeah. I think I went through the 10K in 30-40. I and, believe it. And, you know, my PR is like 30 30. I'm almost right. like a PR pace. And you still had 5K to go. And I wasn't, I couldn't even see the front. Isn't that <laughs> this crazy? Point. These guys went out in probably a little over 28 minutes for the 10K. Because if I remember right, I think Rob DiCostello might have. I know Greg Meyer set a new American record that day in like the 43s. Uh, Rob DiCostello yeah. beat him. And I, I don't know if it was a world record, but it might have been. So these guys, I remember Craig Virgin got 10th. And uh, he, you know, I. You know, these guys, they went through 10K way sub 30, all of them. And so when you're at 30, 40, you know, 40 seconds doesn't sound like much. There are probably 40 or 50 guys. Right. In there. It was like the Peloton in a, in a bicycle race. I was on the tail end of the Peloton. I wasn't near the sharp end up at the front. So what you run? What oh, did I think you I ran, I ran that a, day. I think I ran right around like, oh, I died a thousand deaths in the last 5K because that 30, 40 just took, you yeah. know, you're trying to run that pace the whole way, and and I couldn't do it. I, if Beards, it was like in the 48 plus, you know, Still which not bad though. No, like no, I mean, it wasn't like I embarrassed myself, but at the same time, you kind of like I think I was like maybe around 50th place in the race, you know, and it wasn't anything to write home and break about. But yeah, you know, and, and it was kind of like you at Felmoth. They didn't really bring you there right. to see what you could do. They just no. wanted to hang out. You know, talk about apparel. Get to know you a little bit. Get to know you. It was really, they said, "Ah, you know, it's all good. It's all good. And so I got back home and and, um, I was still, you know, I'm pretty fit. So there was an, I wanted to do a 10K and and I talked to him at at, uh, Brooks about running Boston. And they said, you bet. Yeah, we'd be happy to have Mike. You you want to run Boston? We'll set it up for you. We'll get you a room. Yeah. So, you, you know, the airfare and all that taken care of. So I was thinking, all right, Boston's in April. So in March... I always like to do a 10K before a marathon because there's something about running a 10, 5K, 10K, 10K. That five minute pace makes 520 pace. Absolutely. Feel really good or hopefully right. 515 pace. You know, if you can do sub fives in a 10K, 515 miles feel like you're just cruising. You know, you're just cruising. And and so I was looking for a 10K and I called up Dave Little in Black Hill State. And I didn't know Dave, the coach there, Dave Little real well, but but um, I said, hey, I'm interested. You guys doing an outdoor race in March? He goes, you better track me. And, and, and I go, you got a 10K? He goes, yeah, we do. And he goes, I've got, and Rob Wheelow, who's a really good runner for them at that time, right. is going to be running it. And I said, well, I'd like to come out there. Can I come out and run as a, you know, a Brooks athlete, independent? I'm not in college. He goes, yeah, you bet. It's an open meet. You know, we, you had to kind awesome. of get invited by the, you couldn't just show up that day and expect to jump on the track and run. Right. But if you got the coaches okay, which I did, and he said, you bet, we'd love to have you. So it was in early March, like the first weekend. And do we need so I tell you? the weather like? Oh, it, it got canceled. They had a blizzard. They I got was going to say. They had a it blizzard. Could be 80 degrees or it could be a blizzard. They had a blizzard about, the, the, about three or four days before the race. <laughs> I was looking at the weather forecast, and it, they knew it was coming out of Colorado, this huge, whatever, storm system. And so I, it was done. 
Well, it just so happened, I think the same weekend, the, there was an indoor meet down at the Dome in Vermilion at the, at oh, the yeah. Dakota Dome, which has a beautiful 200-meter indoor track. Anyway, long story short, I entered that and um, went down there. And uh, the biggest competition I had, I think, in that race was probably uh, uh, Dan Carlson. His nickname, he ran for South Dakota State and was a Digger. Hamper. Digger. Digger Carlson. And uh, he went on eventually to run 29-36. I think he had the school record at SDSU um, eventually. And uh, so he was there. And I'm thinking, okay, Digger's always competitive. So we took it out. And I got to be honest, I was pretty fit. I had, uh, one of my favorite workouts of all time I did right before I went to this meet was 10 times 400. And I actually did it over at that SDSU indoor track. And what's kind of funny was I went over there on a weekend and the place was deserted. There was nobody in the hypercenter, you know, rather a hand, you know, nobody on the track. No. And I had the whole goddamn thing to myself. And I, I ran four times, you know, I probably averaged like 64, 65, 66. Dang, that's good. Oh, all by myself, one minute recovery. That was it. And, you know, did it with my, my racing flats, didn't wear track spikes or anything, just my racing uh, road flats. And I felt good, you know, felt good. And uh, so I went down there and I was kind of hoping, I thought, well, maybe we'll, we round around nine minutes, you know, try to break nine minutes for two miles. Well, anyway, the race took off and, and I, I wasn't going to go to the front. I just thought, well, these guys are young. They'll, they'll take it out. We went out in 438. I remember oh, it. Jeepers. Yeah, 438 for the first mile, which felt really good. I was kind of mentally prepared for like a 430, you know, like yeah. 68. And so we're running more like 69s and a few 70s. And, and I thought, okay, and, and I'm going to blow my own horn. I went to the front. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to wait for the last 200 meters. I'm going to put the hammer down. And I remember I ran the last mile in 435. So I went out in 438. I was, oh yeah, I was tickled. And when I got into the last like two laps, Digger came up on my back shoulder with like a f two laps to go. For and I just, <laughs> I kept, you know, it's kind of like squeezing the the the, 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 the toothpaste out of the, the, right. the tube. You don't want to squeeze it all out too fast. So I was just, I kept accelerating the last two laps, so by, the, you know, it's kind of like every 100, so with 400 meters to go, every 100 meters, I'd run a little faster, a little faster. So the last 100 meters, I was able to, you know, I won it like 9.13 it was. And I Dang, was really tickle pick. That's way better than I ever did well, for I was, miles. Well, yeah, but, you know, and what was so fun about it is they had um, they had an announcer at this indoor meet. And and so I, I could hear him talking as the race was going on. They were trying to give a splits. And he goes, yeah, we got... And he said, Mike Dunlaps, who's ran running for the Brooks Racing Team. And I remember he said, one of the best roadrunners in the Midwest. And, you know, I'm thinking, that he's talking about me? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that. And that was very motivational, you know. And I it bet. really got me going. And so I finished that race. I remember Callie, uh, little baby Callie and Karen were in the stands. And a great friend of mine, uh, John Notheis. John was a uh, teacher, I believe, over in Yankton. And I know some of our listeners, uh, Jody uh, Cheersman will know. Yes. She probably had him as a coach or as a friend. And John was just a super, super guy. And he was there. And I remember he came up to me after. He goes, hey, Mike, nice job in that two-mile. You know, and I was I was just tickled because I knew John when I was in high school. And you must have been pumped at that point. Oh, very much so. I was, you know, we drove up to Salem to see Karen's sister after the race. And I was like on cloud nine. So I'm yeah. like, man, I'm really getting in great shape. And so then... We had about, it was probably a good month before Boston, because Boston is like the 19th of, I can't right. I think it was like the 19th, yep. or whatever that date is. And and uh, I thought, man, I, I'd love to get a half marathon in, you know, because I, I did a short, fast race and, and that went really well. 
but man, I'd love to get a half marathon in. And well, somehow or another, and I'm sure it was through you, I can't imagine any other way, you told me about the inclement 25K, which is now called the Ron Dawes Memorial. 25K? Yeah, 25K, absolutely. It's, I remember in, that, Mikey. Is it in Hop, Hopkinson? Hopkins, Minnesota. Hopkins. And Hopkins. it's a hilly course. It is. And it's freaking cold. So Karen and I drive up there for the race that weekend. And I don't remember. I think, Gerds, you might have had a speaking engagement. And because uh, Mary was out there. I don't we, I don't think you were on the course when I was racing. I wasn't? Uh, dang no, it. Nope. Mary was and Karen was. And Karen was kind of preoccupied with Callie because Callie's <laughs> like not even one yet because she was born the previous May. But I remember Mary was really a great supporter. She was out there driving around the course and hearing Karen would pop out of the car where I didn't even know when they were gonna pop out of the car. <laughs> and so we took off and the and the big guy in the race that day was Barney Klecker. Oh and, and Barney. Oh Barney good guy. At one time held the world record for fifty miles. Well Barney was there and I knew him by reputation. He didn't know me. We'd never met face to face. I just I just knew who he was. And I was there loaded for bear. I, I had my racing flats on and I can't remember, yeah. it was cold. But um, we took off and I really, I think I went right to the front and I thought, well, let's just go for this. And, and it was a two course, that double loop, if I remember yep. right, yep. And I had the lead and I, times, I, I don't have a result sheet and that's unusual for me. I usually keep so all that. So did Barney stay with you right away? He didn't, he didn't. Um, you know, I kind of, the, the rumor was that Barney was just there for a training run and I, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I think if he was competitive, he would have like at least hung with me through the sure. first half or whatever. I think so he just, nobody came no, with you. Nope. I just, I took off and you know, with having Mary and Karen out there in the car, that was really helpful, you know, to keep me kind of, keep me rolling. And, um, you know, they kind of let me know how far behind I'm, I think Barney ended up second. And so yeah. at the finish, and, and I didn't know Bill Winmark at the time, our, you're a good friend of both of ours. Right. But I think Bill was the host, uh, the, the race director, if you want to call it that. It was a really loose race. It was more of a, I don't know how to describe it, kind of a midwinter well, diversion. Well, kind of end of the winter for that area. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Just to kind of get you back yeah. on the roads again. March. It, it's not that nice in Minnesota in no. March, but you never know. You might get a nice day. But it was a brutal, it was cold. And they had an awards ceremony, and Jan Edel won the ladies' division. Oh, yeah, yeah Jan. And, and Jan was there, and she ran really strong. And then they go, yeah, and in first place for the men's division, you know, Mike Dunlap from Brookings, South Dakota. And, and because the race is called the Inclement 25K, do you know what they gave me for a first prize? A snowball. No, a bottle <laughs> of suntan lotion. <laughs> this huge bottle of suntan lotion. So it's more of a gig. It's a white elephant gift. It's kind of oh, like, that's funny. that should tell you how loose it was. I mean, it wasn't right. like I got a trophy. I got a hundred dollars. No, they gave me that bottle of suntan lotion because it was like such a tongue in cheek. This is the last thing you need up here, buddy. Right. To come up here. But anyway, and so that, you know, ended and I, and so, man, I kind of was on a roll, you know. So um, done. Do you remember what you ran? Like pace no. wise? Oh. You know, I wish I did. It was sub 520s. I know yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just going to ask you that. Was it five, sub yeah. 520? Yeah, it was one of those so you're words. moving. I was. And that's a hilly course. And I had like sweats. And I don't think we had tights in those days. I, no. I think I had nylon, you know, running short uh, right. pants on or something just because it was too cold to go with bare skin. Well, anyway, so that led up to Boston. And so I'm getting ready to go to Boston. Got my ticket. Brooks has got me stayed right there. So at done. The, uh, you must have been line. pretty fired up after that race, knowing oh, Boston's yeah. like a month away. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I was on a roll, and I was in grad school, and training was going well, and you know, and everything was just going, and, and, and it's just one of those things where everything's a 
coming together. And then a, a good friend of ours, Virgil Cheersma, I, I don't know how he ran into Virgil and, and, and Virgil said, Mike, I'm trying to, I want to go to Boston. And he had actually <laughs> gone to his local bank in Yankton and he's asked for help. You know, you and I have both been in the situation. And he and he he said, I will wear your like logo on my racing jersey at Boston. And if you know any pictures, any you know, I'm trying sure. I'll promote you. And the bank, you know, it's probably his banker, he's a farmer. The guy right. said, Yeah, well, we can um we can get you uh uh airplane, we'll get you an airplane ticket, which is probably a couple two hundred three hundred bucks. So Virgil, I said, Virgil, you going to Boston? He goes, Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'm gonna be gonna be wearing this my bank singlet i have they're making me a singlet to wear and i said and he goes but i don't have a place to stay and i go well verge i've gotten a free room from brooks right he said you can bunk in with me i don't mind and he goes oh are you sure and i go no heck i said we're right at the finish line it's right at the i think it's a sheraton or right at the finish oh, yeah, line right back there in the, the sheraton yeah and he goes well mike that's fantastic goes, yeah no we'll, we'll, we'll meet you out there we'll you know we made arrangements so I flew out there. I don't remember how what a day or two before the race, and uh, I'm at the airport. I think I flew from Sioux Falls to Minneapolis to catch a flight to Boston. Yeah. And who's on the flight? But Mike Slack, and Slicker, uh, Slick. And I didn't know him, but I knew him. I recognized him, and I, I went up and introduced myself. I said, "Hey, Mike. My name is Mike Dunlap." I said, "I'm a really good friend of Dick Beardsley's." He goes, "Oh yeah, like like I don't know." Either like he recognized your name for sure because oh, you you Tucker you and, and I go way back. Oh yeah, you guys had dueled at that uh, right that half marathon around Lake Minnetonka there yeah. a year before and all that. And and he kind of he was very cordial, very nice guy. I said, Are "You going out there to run?" Nah, he said. New Balance is having me come out for the weekend. <laughs> you know, he'll probably stand in the booth. Don't they, you know at the right. expo they they bring in these athletes? And Mike was that good. At, he ran against the Russians at the dual meet. Oh, he was uh, in the, the mile could, and. I mean, the guy could run a sub four, four mile and a two eleven. Did he end up running? Do well at the distances. Yeah, I think he ended up like a two eleven marathon eventually. But anyway, so I had a nice chat with him, and so we get out there and uh, <laughs> come to find out, Brooks had already bunked me in with one another Brooks athlete. No. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we had two double beds. Me in one, and the other Brooks athlete had the other one. What, you and Virgil sleep together? <laughs> it gets better. Yeah. <laughs> and so I get there, and I meet this guy, and I think his name was Ray. I wish I remembered, but he was running for Brooks, kind of like me. You know, it's like yeah. a 220 marathoner, and, and they were bringing him in to give him a chance to run Boston. And I said, hey, I, I hope you don't mind, but I invited a buddy to stay with me. And he goes, that's so funny, because I invited a buddy to stay with me. He goes... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You were you were quadrupled. We were four of us. Together. We were four of us. So the two Brooks guys thinking, well, I got a room. Come stay with me. We <laughs> both we both had a room together, and we brought both invite. <laughs> so there were four of us in one room. And you know, I got to be honest with you, Virgil is a we're, we're, he's a good guy. I didn't have a problem <laughs> sleeping in, in the same same bed with nah. Virgil. I wasn't worried about any. We're in homophobic in those days, or whatever the word is. No. And so you know, we got there and. Uh, we, I kind of told Virgil, I said, I'm not going to go to the expo. I'm, I'm here to race. I'm not going to walk right. around on my feet. And he said, yeah, me neither. I'm, I'm with you, That's Mike. That's the worst thing you can do. Oh, yeah. But here's the cool thing. Brooks, up until this point, they didn't have a racing shoe. Except for Greg Meyer. They built him a shoe from, you sure. know, from the ground up. And for the rest of us, they were hoping to have the racing shoe out by Boston. And guess when they got it, Dick? The day before the race. No way. What's the one thing you never this. you never should do? 
wear a new pair of shoes in a marathon. So what did you do? Oh, I, they gave them to me the day before the race. And I put them on and I wore them. The whole day, right. I never took those suckers off. They no, were like, trying to break them in. Oh, a I'm trying bit. to break, just making sure there's no seams, there's no tight, you know, right. pinching on the toes. And, and I think I might have went out the day before Boston in those shoes and ran like two miles. Yeah, just you know, just probably a shag, shag. Yeah, just kind of the, for the nerves mostly. Plus, I was really trying to break the shoes in, and they seem fine. They seem fine. They're lightweight racing shoes. Nice. So we get up. And as you know, if you uh, if you're staying at the finish line, you got to get 26 miles down the road to the starting line. <laughs> right. And they have buses and beers. I'm not exaggerating. This is 1983. There had to be 50. Probably there's probably more than 50. They had rented every school bus, every rental in the city or surrounding <laughs> area, and every athlete gets on a bus unless you have right. a private ride. And the road isn't that big. If you had you know 8,000 cars driving oh, up to Hopkinton. Anyway, so you get on the bus, you have to ticket. So when you get your race number, and I was race number uh, 102, and if I remember right, your your number relates to your 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 qualifying time. Because sure. you know you have to qualify to get into Boston, even back in those days. And so I guess I was, my, my qualifying time would have been 221.08, I think I ran at uh, Duluth, at Grandma's. And so yeah. they use that. And so I guess I was the 102nd fastest guy lining up that day. Virgil right. had qualified, I can't remember, it. I don't remember what race he did, but he had a number two uh, that was under, it was, here's the key, it was like in the 120s. Yeah. If, you're, if your number's below 125, when you get to the starting line, they have corrals. And the first number one, which I'm guessing that day was probably Bill Rogers, because he was returning, you weren't there, Salazar wasn't there. No. Um, who got third? Maybe Ludwig Meyer. wasn't there. Uh, Meyer was there. Meyer had number one, now that I'm thinking of oh, it. Yeah. I think I remember the shots. But anyway, if you have numbers one through 125, you get in the front corral. But before you get there, you got to ride this darn bus. And so you get outside at this loading zone, and you got your ticket in your hand, and you also have like a little uh, gym bag. You can bring like some warm-ups and, and what have you. And you can try to find that, I guess, at the finish line. Well, Virgil and I had talked it over, and I said, look, Virgil, I'm going to wear this ratty old long sleeve turtleneck I got. And right. I might have had a hat. I said, when I get up there, I'm just, and they have barrels for you to throw Chuck clothing it. in. And they give it to homeless people, I guess. They, exactly. They, they, they don't do. just, they, they do. They don't just burn it or anything. But if you don't want it back, you just throw it in one of these big barrels. And so I said, that's what I'm going to do. And he goes, yeah, I don't want to hassle with, you know, worried about finding my duffel no. bag. Because we can just walk from the finish back to our hotel. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to do that too. So we get on the bus and we're sitting there and we get towards the back of the bus and we're sitting together like two school kids ready to go off to school. And who should get on the bus but George Sheehan? Now, for the listeners, I know Dick, you know who George Sheehan oh, is. Oh, I, I was on the stage with him a number of times. Oh, he's a heck of a guy. And I only knew him by reputation. I heard him speak at, at Brookings. Um, he was brought in on a lecture series. Remember, they paid him 6000 bucks to come up and oh, give him... Oh, and that was a lot. And that was, like he was 80, the highest paid yeah. running speaker well, he, he was for a, years. He was a great... He was a cardiologist by trade. He was a runner as a high school and college guy. He kind of gave up running then to go to med school and become a, a well-known cardiologist. And then in the early to mid-40s, he rekindled his love for running. And I've, I haven't bought his book about that. I think there's a book called Running with the Eagle or something like that. One of his sons wrote it. And, but he, he got back into running and he set an age group world record for the mile 
like 449 at age 40 something indoors. Yeah. And so he, I mean, he was, he just, he was passionate about his running. And he actually, I've read a lot of, you know, he's got several books published. He's got video series. I have one of his videos. I purchased it and I love listening to it. And his, his whole thing was really, he said, you know, between ages of like 20 to 45, when he went to med school, he said, I really have hardly any memory. It's kind of a blur. He wasn't living. He didn't feel his, his best self, his whole, you know, he talks about mind, body, spirit. He was working on his mind. That's all he, cardiology. He was an expert at looking at 12 lead EKGs. I don't know if you ever looked at one of those, all these little squiggly lines. And he can look at that thing and tell you what's wrong with your heart if there was something Dang. wrong with it. I mean, he was that, he had developed that skill and, and knowledge. And um, that's basically all he did all day long, he said, is read 12 lead EKGs of patients from who knows where. And then he rekindled his love for, for running and he and became known as a running philosopher. Um, oh, you know, yeah. he probably made as much money or oh. more doing that <laughs> as he did much. as a doctor. Yeah, he was a very successful man. Very, you know, he always said everybody that ever met him or heard him speak, oh, man, you must be so well read. And he said, no, I don't read that much. I only read several people very well. He loved uh, William James. He loved uh, Thoreau and Emerson. You know, he yeah. had certain writer, writers, thinkers, that he would just absorb all of their works and kind of reformat it in his own mind. And he ran, wrote an article for Runner's World for you tell me how many years, forever. Oh, a monthly column. A and monthly, then he had how many books? Oh, n- numerous, numerous. If you ever get a hold of a George Sheehan book, uh, Personal Best read is it. one of his last ones. Yeah, they're worth the read. Uh, I've got a couple. I'll, I'll always hang on to them. Anyway, he's on the bus. And so he sits down about two or three seats in front of <laughs> Virgil and I. And everybody's, hey, Dr. Sheehan, good luck today. Right. Hey, have a good one, Dr. Sheehan. You already, you know, they all know we have a celebrity with us. And um, right. And he had been at Brookings in 1981 or two and given this lecture. I drove up with a bunch of people. We wanted to go hear him speak. And I just remember he sat on a stage and he had running shoes on and blue jeans and no socks. <laughs> he didn't have socks on. Really? Yeah, he just, you know, I don't know if they, he forgot to pack them or he just liked the, you know, <laughs> back in the day I used to run, I remember a few summers without socks and man, your shoes would be so ratty and oh, stinky I know. and stuff. But anyway, long story, finally I have an opportunity to chat him up a little. You know me, I can't not sit and not talk to somebody. And so after the, you know, this, we're, it's 26 mile bus ride. It seems guy. like it takes you oh, forever. Ever. You can't imagine running that far. No, I know. I... And it's kind of sad to run to drive the course the morning of the race. It's like, <laughs> don't do that. Well, we're doing it. And, you know, you know, we're distracting ourselves. Virgil and I have been chatting. And, you know, there's runners. Everybody's excited. You can smell it in the air, the adrenaline. And finally, I have, hey, Dr. Sheehan. And he, he turns and looks at me. He goes, I said, hey, when are you going to come back to South Dakota? You know, I'm just thinking, I'm trying to think of a glib little comment yeah. to kind of say, oh, yeah, I was there just last year at Brookings, South Dakota. But instead, Please don't tell me he said, no, oh, South he Dakota? Goes, he goes, hmm, South Dakota, South Dakota. Are there runners in South Dakota? Oh, and, come on. And everybody, and Virgil and I go, well, there's two of us, you know. And everybody <laughs> on the bus is kind of snickering, like, you know, like, well, he kind of put those guys in their place. And I remember, and so I didn't say anything more. And Virgil kind of under his breath, he goes, Son of a, did he just diss us? And I go, he did. Yeah, basically, he kind of made it sound like what South Dakota. What's in South Dakota? And I tell you, you know, you'll take whatever you can before a race <laughs> for motivation. Oh, and, for and sure. I think Virgil and my, we didn't even say anything to each other. I but I think in the back, oh, oh, in the back of my mind is like, Heck yeah, I'm going to show you the kind of runners we have in South Dakota. <laughs> and so, you know, we get off the bus, and Beards, you probably know this better than any. Maybe you didn't. They 
gonna be out there about an hour and a half before the darn race starts. And there's a high school with a gymnasium. And well, the year I ran, there were like 8,300 runners. Well, I think 8,000. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. I had to ride up in the back of a station wagon. <laughs> there was no school to go in. You went to they, a, you went they to a little. It was a lot better the, a year later oh, for you guys. Let no. me tell you. But let me tell you, you couldn't even get in the gymnasium. It was packed. I it, bet. it was an overcast, and as you know, perfect day for running. Right. Kind of cloudy. It was kind of cool in the morning, like probably in the lower 50s. It didn't get much above 50s. I, I don't think no. it got out of the 50s that day. And and it's kind of like a mist, not raining, but not comfortable. And so Virgil and I are hanging out. We're going like, well, let's, let's see if we can get into the gym and get out of the weather. And we yeah. couldn't. You know, you go in there, and it, and it was like so oppressive, so many bodies. Sardines in a can. Oh, it's like, the, exactly. <laughs> and so we kind of decided, we'll just, there's woods everywhere. And the runners are just kind of milling around, you know, walking yeah. around. So we're just kind of milling around, walk, trying to find a dry spot to sit, get off your feet. Well, as you know, Beards, you, you get the urge, you know, the, the stomach, we, we got up. You have enough time for your GI system to kind of do oh, its yeah. thing. And now the nerves are kicking in. You've been drinking water like crazy all morning. Right. See? And so, but not, you know, taking a whiz is one thing, but having to take a dump. And the porta potties, they had plenty of them, but with 8,000 runners, the line, oh. it was crazy. So, you know, a lot of us had, you know, we had, I always carried some tissues with me, or I hate to say toilet paper, but you never know when you're out for a run, it's pretty handy to have some toilet paper with oh, you. Well, I, I had some toilet paper. You know what? I don't even take toilet paper, <laughs> I just wipe my hinder later. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, we're not even going into that one. But here's the thing I headed off into the woods. Everybody was in, you could, you were kind of trying to find a private place. There was no private place in the woods. You know, everybody is probably 50 yards apart, but you could, you could kind of look over. You'd be squatting behind a tree and you'd look over. Those and there's a guy probably grew a foot and a half that year. Now listen, the worst part of this, as you, as you walk back into the woods, you'd see these little white piles of the toilet paper on top of the, 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 the deposit. So they're like right. landmines. So as you're walking through the woods, you're kind of looking where you don't want to step in this stuff. No. And, and now it's it's funny now. It's <laughs> so funny. And so finally you get back in the woods far enough and you're still seeing more white toilet paper piles. <laughs> and you finally find a spot. And I, you know, there were men, there were women back there. We're all runners. Nobody cared. Nobody was trying to, you know, be a, a pervert or whatever it no. was. And you got your business done. You left your little sample of white tissue paper there as your flag of like, don't step here. And <laughs> headed back into the meadow, back, back to the area. Well, finally we got to the starting line. And uh, it was really kind of cool. And they had a guy there. I'd call him the bouncer. <laughs> you weren't going to get in that corral without showing your number. Oh, I bet not. Yeah, because I'm sure there are guys that, you know, Beards, you've been to a race where it's like you get there late and you're going you're gonna to squeeze your way up to the front. For sure. You're just like, well, I'm not going to start behind these slower people because it's going gonna, it's gonna to spend a ton of energy. Plus, I want my time to be from the starting line. Absolutely. Not from 150 yards behind the starting line. I don't think we didn't. I didn't yeah, maybe no. There I don't no know, chip timing. We didn't have then. chip timing then, so those that guy was looking at your number and he'd give you the thumbs up, the nod, and you'd stroll into the front corral, Virgil and I, <laughs> and you're rubbing elbows with all these guys, all oh, the big names, the best of the yeah, best. Yeah. Now I didn't get in the front row because I thought, now I don't need to do that. I got number one hundred two. I should be in the last twenty runners of this bunch. So you know, we got in there, and, and it seems like forever. And finally, they shoot the gun, and and beards. You know, we can do this slower, fast. But that first mile. You talk about, you're just, it's like you're getting shot out of a gun. It is. And I don't know, it's the adrenaline, it's the downhill, 
It's the fear. I think it's a combination of everything. Uh, and I just know I was trying to kind of keep it under control, and I went through the first mile in five flat. Now, I know you went through in like 429 or something Four, like that. Yeah, yeah. Me and but, Salazar, that yeah. a year earlier. But, but again, Don, oh. between the downhill, you're so fired up. The crowds, it's just, it, it doesn't feel that fast. Oh, it doesn't. And... Joan Benoit was ahead of me. I remember that. Because it's like, holy shit. I thought I was going fast. She's you know, she's going out at five-minute pace. Well, then, you know, and what's kind of cool is Virgil and I, we were standing next to her when the gun went off. But I don't know what happened. You know, you you can't really run next to somebody until you get maybe down the road a ways. Right. And we did. We reconnected. You know, our, our pace was pretty much the same. Maybe he was on the left-hand side of the road when I was on the right-hand side of the road. But eventually... It, thun- it thinned out enough that we found each other, which now was done. Good. Yeah. Did you and Virgil make a pact that we're yeah. going to try to run together? Yeah, yeah. Not? I said, Virgil, I'm going to. We're trying to break 219, and he goes, yeah. exactly 219.04. I think we had to do. And he and he and I said, you know, well, let's work together. And he goes, oh, dang right, right. You know, well, let's it, let's anything to help one another achieve our goal. And so we we were rolling along, rolling along, rolling along, and at about 10 miles, um, we actually came up behind. Joan Benoit. Uh, she was she was ahead of us the whole way. And, Did you uh, know it was her when you were oh, behind her? Yeah, well, you could. She's so recognizable. Well, she they just, probably had a, like a police escort. Yes, or something. she did. She had a motorcycle in front of her with a camera, and she had her uh, Athletics West outfit. She's yeah. a, she's a little pipsqueak, you know, but she's got that short black hair, and, and her running style is pretty distinct. And yeah, right. there's no doubt there. Hey, there's Joan Benoit. And now this is going to sound very sexist, and I hope it doesn't. Um, I don't know what the word is anymore, but. Uh, male chauvinist I guess but I'm running with Virgil and she's about 50 yards in front of us with this motorcycle camera facing her the cameraman facing her filming her and I told Virgil and I go Virgil somebody at home is going to see this someday and say those two turkeys are running with the women they don't realize how good she is I mean she's and run like record holder she, well, she was 224 I think going into that race from like maybe Chicago or something like that Anyway, I, and I and I said they they'll think we're just back here, you know, kind of loafing our way through the Boston Marathon. <laughs> I go, look, we have, and this sounds terrible. I go, let's either drop back out of camera shot, or should we pass her? Right. And Virgil didn't hesitate. He goes, pass her. And I said, yeah. all right. So we we kind of you know picked up our cadence a little bit, and and when they're you know it wasn't like we sprinted, but we were able to get in front of her and. Uh, as we're running along, we finally got to like the, the uh, half marathon point, uh, 13 miles. And I know Virgil and I were right at 104 because they had a clock that said. At the half marathon? Yes. At 108. 108. 108. Because okay. the winner, Meyer, went through in 104 flat. And they had a timer that said, how many? It said four minutes. So when Greg Meyer went by the half marathon and, and Benji Durden and, and whoever, Ron Tab, whoever the Ron group Tab, was, yeah. they started this timer. So as you got there, you could, you'd see how far oh, behind nice. the lead group is. Yeah, and it was exactly four minutes. And we were at 108 flat. And I, thought, I told Virgil, I go, God, those guys are going out at 104. They're on 208 marathon pace. And we're, at, we're on 216 marathon pace. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this, but it's, Beards, do I need to tell anybody what the first 13.1 miles in Boston's like? Pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. It is sweet. Um, it is. Is that, is that Wesley Women's College before? Wellesley. Wesley. Is that before the halfway? Wellesley. Wellesley. 
Is that, that before at half? the halfway where all the gals come out oh, from college? Virgil just go crazy. Virgil said he was that all these co-eds come out and they have a reputation of being a little what's the word randy? <laughs> I don't oh, know if that's a kiss you. They do. Guy. Supposedly, guys would throw their motel keys into the oh yeah into the girls's. They'll grab them and then then there I guess, would be hookups later. Yeah, in the I day. guess so. But they the girls <laughs> anyway. They're cheering like crazy. But guess who they're really gonna when Virgil and I go by? It's deafening. But then Joan Bonoit goes by, and guess what you hear? Oh. Ah, it goes, it doubles. The, the, I bet. The decibel level doubles. And Virgil and I look at each other. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And I go, shit, Virgil, she's right behind us. You know, because <laughs> she was. We went through in 108. She went through in 108.23. She was 23 Unreal. seconds behind us. And you could hear the roar of the crowd. And I always said it scared me all the way to the finish. That's, I think I, I think Joe, but anyway, so we're rolling and we're and we're doing good and we get to about 14:15 and I remember uh, uh, John Hogan. He's a Minneapolis or Mankato oh, yeah, kid. John, John was a good kid. John. Yep. And uh, he and I had raced together at Twin Cities. I beat him by a couple seconds the year that that's fall and John came flying by us. I mean, he was rolling and and yeah. I remember Virgil and I'm I'm, I'm sounding like I'm such a expert at this but Virgil goes hey Mike should we go with him and I said Virg we just went through the half of 108 we're running 216 pace I, I think we should just stay right let's keep the same effort yeah because you know I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking let's not get greedy you know because if we pick up the pace to you know faster you know, we're, we're not even we're just past halfway and that point. Boston course can deal I yeah. was worried about the the hills coming up from 17 to 21 miles so and Virgil goes okay Okay, okay. And uh, I was older than him, so I think he, he deferred to my <laughs> wisdom or whatever. No, I don't know. But he, he, we, we didn't pick up. We just kept going. It just we, had, we were rolling. And we finally got to the hills, Beards. And, and I'm going to be 100% honest. We got to that last hill, Killer Hill or Heartbreak Hill, Heartbreak. I guess it's called, between 20, 21 miles. Heartbreak Hill. I, it was breaking my heart. I could not hang with Virgil. You know, he just, I was, you know, you're at that threshold. And Virgil right. was slowly gaining on me, or pulling away from me, and I I wasn't gonna go faster. It's like, oh, I'm gonna, ooh, Virgil's getting ahead of me. I have to speed up. There was no more speeding up. It was like I was at my point where it's like I can't go faster, otherwise I'm, you know, uh, I'm not that's finish. a brutal part. It, of the it is, and it was heartbreaking for me to let Virgil go because we're good buddies and competitors. You know, right. I I wanted to be the first South Dakota finisher, not Virgil, yeah. but, but you know, that's okay. I was happy for him, sad for me. And I was doing the math in my head the whole way. And, and I swear I ran a 556. I, I did from 20 to 21. It's the hills in there. And, and basically I, heartbreaks per near a mile it, long. And it, it, was a, it was just a 556. I, I did the math in my head as I was running and got to the 21 mile mark. And I remember Coach Squires, when you and Salazar, he goes, pretty much the same point. He goes, they just ran 502 up, up Heartbreak Hill. And I yeah. kind of remembered that Beards ran up this thing at 5:02. I'm running up in 5:56, and it's it's hurting, man. It's killing me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think we had a comment from one of our listeners that, and I don't know if Ben sent that to you. He was wondering. He if, did. I'll get back. Yeah, to Yeah, we'll too. talk about that at the end. Um, so I get to the top of Heartbreak Hill, and Virgil, I, I can't see him. You know, he as you kind of go over, you crest it, and there's some right. nice downhill on the other side. And uh, it was one of those points, and I actually have a photo, which is really amazing. The, the spectators of Boston are one of a kind. A guy took a picture of me and sent it to me a couple weeks after the race. It's me coming over the top of Heartbreak Hill all by myself. And um, 
I had a Brooks hat on, like I did at Grandma's. Brooks gave sure. us all those painters hats that you made famous the year before, and so we were. I was wearing my painters hat, which I really didn't need at this point because it was not a sunny, hot day. It was a cool, yeah. cloudy day, and I got to the top of Heartbreak Hill, and they were they were. I think they were handing out sponges, and I grabbed one, and I took my hat off, and I remember I kind of just squeezed the um, sponge on my forehead <laughs> to kind of let the water run down. It felt good. And Beards, as I looked at the crowd, because the crowd at the top of Heartbreak Hill is just huge. I swear, I looked, I swear, every eye was looking at me. Now, <laughs> you might have thought, oh, you're, you're just so, your ego's so full of yourself. And I go, yeah. And I just thought they're all staring at me like, they probably this? were. Oh, they probably were, because this poor guy probably looks so bad. And Beards, I kid you not, I took my painter's hat and I just flung it. I flung it into the crowd. And you the did? people, oh, I did. And the people went nuts. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was like <laughs> Kip Kano used to do that, throw his hat into, when he was going to start his sure. kick. So I threw the hat into the crowd and just took off down the other side. And I kind of got my stride back and got started feeling a little better. And all at once up ahead, I spotted Virgil because he had this no. he had this singlet on that the bank had given him. And the logo on it was so tiny, right in the center of his chest. It said, like, first bank I yanked on it or something like that. <laughs> but I saw it from behind, I reckon. And Virgil's like six foot four and blonde haired. And now, was he, could sweet. you tell, was he starting to hurt? No, he was still just rolling like okay. always. And I was closing the gap. And yeah, I was going to say, you were picking oh, it up. I though. was. And I, you know, I got my second wind. You know, I, the adrenaline. I, I don't know what it was, but I just started feeling better. And it's kind of like maybe that's a lesson. You're going to have bad points in every race. Yep. You got to just kind of learn to what? Write it out, you know. Absolutely. Maybe you do back off a notch or two, like that 556. But yeah, I had to. And then to give yourself a chance just to get you your breath. You can get it back again. Got, I got it back. And I kid you not, I snuck up onto Virgil about 22 to 23 miles. I don't have the exact. And I got right next to him. I go, Virgil, I'm back. Like that. He goes, oh, Mike, Mike. Oh. oh, he was like, oh, he was happy. He was really? like probably yeah, feeling I'm like, sure oh, shit, I wonder what happened to Mike. So I go, oh, man. And so we're just rolling. And now, Beards, as you know, the last three miles, the crowd, even though I think that we had better oh. crowd control than you did, the crowd is wide enough for two guys, basically, I to know. run side by side. Crazy. And the noise is deafening. And it, like you said, my I didn't feel my legs. My ears oh, no, were no, your ears are ringing. They are. It's that loud. And I finally got to the sit-go sign. And I think you told me, and I've heard, if you get to the sit-go sign, you one got one mile, mile to go. go. And Beards, I looked at my watch and I looked at, you know, there's a sit-go sign. And it's like, and I looked at my watch and I knew, man, we're going to be close to 219. And I turned to Virgil. I said, Virgil, we got to go. Like, this is the last mile, bud. And I, uh, and you know what? When you're shooting for a particular oh, time you, and you, you think, I got to push it this I, I last gotta. mile. That's, in a marathon, that's not a good <laughs> it's, feeling. It's, it hurts. But we did it. And uh, I took off, and I got to admit, Virgil, you know, when I took off, I, it was every man for himself at that point. Yep. And I ran that last mile as fast. I haven't figured out the split ever. But I rounded the last corner, and you know it's that old course, 200 meters of eh, pretty oh, yeah, nice little downhill. Oh, yeah, ring road yeah, off of Hereford yeah, You watch Street. the duel in the sun. You can see what that last 200 meters looks like. Dick, Dick and Alberta will show you. And I saw the clock up ahead, and there was nobody in front of me to catch. Like, yeah, I'm going to try yeah. to catch that guy. And it was just like turning over 218. And, or you know, it was just, and I thought, okay, I've got one minute to run from here. And I could see the dang finish line to there. So you're like sprinting oh, at this point? Oh, heck yes. I'm going as fast as my little legs will carry me. But I thought, I, unless I fall on my face, 
how can I not run this last stretch in in Now, in where's a Virgil at this I don't point know. Yeah, I don't. He, I know he's not in front of me. So okay. I crossed the finish line, and and I've got a. I'll, I think I put the picture on. I'll put it up sometime of me cross. It's the proof they send you after the race to buy. I never did buy the darn thing. And what was your time? Two eighteen twenty six. Awesome. And I no sooner crossed the finish line and came to a stop, and I spun around. I am not making this up. And I was staring up the road for Virgil. I was. I was. You know, because we bet. were we were a team that day. We really were you a bet team. You. And I saw him coming. He's coming down the hill. And I'm looking at the clock, and it's like 218, you know, 35. And I'm looking at Virgil, I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at Virgil, <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. And I think he ran 218.49. So he broke 218 oh, also. Yeah, and I don't think, I got 69th place. He got 74th place. I mean, it was the deepest, fastest field ever. Oh, for was, sure. And, and we didn't know that at the time. So there was a couple guys that got in between us. But as soon as we got to, he, I basically, we, <laughs> This sounds kind of goofy. We embraced, gave each other a big hug. Oh, I would too. And Bears, we were both crying like little babies. I would have been crying too. Uh, it was too. such an, an emotional release. And, you know, we were, and it kind of gets me right now. Because, it, I don't know, when you when you set a goal and you work your tail off, and we and we did it. And we did and it together. It. And we did it, it together. And I tell you, we floated back to the Sheraton. because it oh, was. I can't it, even imagine. Oh, you know, when you finish a marathon in a cold... Cloudy day. Oh, you start showing off immediately. And we just said, I said, Verge, let's head back. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm cold. I'm freezing. And as we, we were like some of the first runners back into the Sheraton. And we're just running, coming in with our racing shorts and singlets on. That's right. it. And we're walking through the lobby. And everybody looks like they're dressed to the nines. You know, they've they got suits and dresses. Oh, you know, for sure. The, you know, the people that are there not for the race necessarily. And as we're walking through, people are going, hey, you guys just ran the marathon? They go, how'd you do? And we both go, we just qualified for that 1984 Olympic trials. And people are like, oh, my God. You know, we got I on know. the elevator with people. What? I, done. It, oh, so, it was, and so many guys and gals that want to do that have never done that. And it's, uh, it's you know, they say it's less than 2% of the people in the world have ever run a marathon. But it's probably less than a... <laughs> half of a half of a percent that ever qualified for the oh. U.S. Olympic trials. Well, we, you know, we got back. I, we felt no pain. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Oh, Usually after not. a marathon, you're like, oh, everything's going to hurt. No. And I told Virgil, I go, you, you take the first shower. And he goes, oh, okay, you bet. Well, I got on the phone and started calling Karen. And she was down at her mom and dad's in Spencer, Iowa. And they were trying to watch it on TV. I think their ABC had some coverage. And sure. they claimed they think they saw me or something. So I had to tell them what we did. And then um, I'm trying to remember who it was from KSFYT uh, Radio. KSOO, I think it was. KSOO. And they had said, they knew Virgil and I were going. And they said, when you guys get done, would you call us and let us know how you did? Oh, frick. I'm dialing that number and I'm talking and the guy goes, hang on a second. And he hits record. And so he's recording. I think I have this on cassette tape somewhere. So he's asking me, so Mike, tell me, how, how did you and Virgil do at the Boston Marathon today? Oh my God. You know, I'm talking a mile a minute saying we both oh, qualified. God, that's a big deal. I tell you, we were just on cloud nine. And, and so he gets out of the shower. He gets on the phone, calls his mom and dad. I think, yeah, I, I don't think he was married at that time. I'm not sure his girlfriend or his wife. So we, we finally are all showered up. We're hungry. We head down out. You know, it's been an hour or two hours now. And we're heading downtown and all the runners are milling around. And it was just, the atmosphere of Boston's unreal. Oh, it's not like anything. There's, 
There is not another race like it. Yeah. We tried to get into the Elliott Lounge. You couldn't get near the Elliott Lounge then. Now, maybe if your name was Dick Beardsley or Bill Rogers, <laughs> you'd have got it. Beards, I tell you what, I'm gonna, I, I think that's enough for tonight. Oh, <laughs> I'm exhausted. Listen, you got me so jacked up right now, I'm gonna go out for a run. <laughs> All right. Well, Honest I hope everybody gosh, else well, finds something out of that that they enjoyed. Or oh, and, this know, was this was awesome, Don. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. And if you have any questions for Don and myself or comments about our show, please contact us directly at our website, beardsanddonepod.com, or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or X, all at Beards and Done Pod. Yeah, and if you're watching on YouTube, you know we'd love to have you hit that subscribe, like, leave us a comment. And yeah, we'll get to some of the comments here in the next few weeks because we enjoy when people ask questions and we're more than happy to answer them even though they might not make a lot of sense. And you can ask us anything. There you go. Beards, have a great time fishing. See you next week, buddy. All right. Take care, bud. Stay in the boat. Yeah, bye-bye. All right.